Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe. Coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It's Friday, August the 11th, 4.02 p.m. And uh, we are very happy that all people you all have joined us. And we invite you to come back uh, in about three or four weeks and we'll have another show. And uh, today we have a very special guest for everybody. And I hope you've had a great summer. This is our first program after our summer break. And uh, we are excited because we have a teacher here who is brand new to the profession. And, uh, and his name is Alex Gall. And Alex is a beginning teacher at Zionsville High School. And uh, he's going to tell you a lot about teaching that he already knows. And our goal is to invite Alex back somewhere in December or January and uh, have him back on the show and see how he's doing. <laughs> and uh, he's agreed to do this, by the way. And thank you, Alex, for doing that. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the show, Guy. We're happy to have you. I think this is our 12th year of our shows, of the podcast 12 or 13. It's been a bunch. Um, welcome to the show. And uh, um, it, we're honored to have you on the show. And uh, you are, represent the best of the young people. And uh, you were just elated to have you here and uh, to share your thoughts about uh, world language education. Now, where are you from? Can you tell the listeners where you're from? Yeah, so I am, so I, like you said, I'm about to start teaching at Zionsville High School, but I've actually, I've lived in Zionsville my entire life. So coming full circle here, I uh, graduated from Zionsville in 2019, went to IU for four years, and now I'm back. Uh, wasn't really ever the plan. I had big, <laughs> like every kid, you think you're going to move far away and do something different. But, uh, you know, as I was finishing my senior year, I realized just what a phenomenal program I had so close to home. Um, and all of the great mentors and teachers I have here already. So I'm, I'm back, ready to, ready to keep doing Well, that. welcome back. Uh, that's a good thing that you're back. And uh, um, so... Tell us a little bit about your, your family here, you know, yeah. the, the, your, your family in Zionsville. So my family is, <laughs> the entire extended family has been here for a very long time. My parents are actually uh, high school sweethearts from Zionsville Community High School. So they both went to the same high school I graduated from. And uh, my dad has, he taught here for a few years right out of college and then he's helped with coaching the football team on and off for years. Um, so it, it, it's kind of funny being back. It feels like I'm kind of taking his spot here around. Um, but I've got two younger sisters who also graduate from here. Uh, one is also education major at Ball State. And then the other one is a, she's about to be a sophomore at IEPUI. So that's all, all continuing education right now, all hard at work. And, um, I still give my sister credit, though. She got into education before yeah. I did. Congratulations now. to your parents. They did a great job. They really did. That's amazing. Um, now, uh, your background. Now, you mentioned that you had graduated from IU. And for the listeners, IU, of course, is Indiana University, not Illinois <laughs> or <laughs> not, not so Iowa, you know, but it's Indiana University. The, the the university, the Indiana University, right? So um, now, so you, your uh, educational background, you spent a lot of time in IU, right? Uh, not a lot of time, but four years uh, go, studying uh, Spanish and literature and linguistics, everything under the sun, I'm sure. Now, yeah. what's your comments about your study at IU? I assume that you were very pleased with it. You know, oh, yeah. the study, right? No, yeah, I, I was blown away. It is really a phenomenal program they've got. Um, I think one of the benefits of the Spanish education degree specifically, you know, they, they roll it all into one degree. So it's all through the School of Education. Um, and I graduated with a degree in Spanish education, whereas a lot of other Spanish majors, it's, it's a Spanish major, a concentration in some subject in addition to whatever your primary study is. Okay. So had a unique opportunity in that, in that I did 
get to study a whole lot of linguistics, culture, and literature, uh, where a lot of times you, you focus in on just one or two of those areas for your four years. So feel very honored that I got to work with a lot of really, really well-versed uh, professors there that are very involved in both uh, you know, state and national teaching organizations. And so uh, got to learn a lot from them. And one of the things I think I was surprised about, though, was, um, again, thinking about the ways that we've been blessed in the uh, north side of Indianapolis, that I showed up as a freshman at IU, and in my 300-level Spanish classes, not a lot of people spoke Spanish. <laughs> the, the professors obviously did, but the students at, at even a 300-level really struggled with that communication aspect. Um, and so it really made me appreciate just how well-prepared I was coming from Zionsville and coming from um, a program that really emphasized using the language, speaking in class, writing, communicating. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's a very, very good point because I know there are people, uh, some of my friends or, and teachers out, you know, out, out in the field, and right. I get that, I get that, uh, uh, actually the statement that you just made about uh, the, the students coming to college not being very prepared for speaking right, the language. And uh, why do you think that is? I, it then happens. It, it actually happens. And, uh, you know, you get people in class, and I can say this from my days teaching in college, which are quite a few, that uh, when when they come to class, why, why do you think that is? I, I, I've always wondered why they, I mean, they have the same amount of time as, let's say, 40% uh, of the class is pretty fluent, Right. But right. the other sixty may not be. But I wonder what happens. It is it the fact that the the teacher, the Spanish teacher, just doesn't create an environment where they can practice speaking. I, I don't know. I think a lot of it is that uh, it feels like nowadays we almost kind of hand out a Spanish minor like candy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like you get one and you get one. You feel like Oprah standing up front in that. <laughs> It's a, it's a really valuable skill to be able to speak Spanish in the workplace, but I think so many people continue pursuing Spanish, thinking, oh, it's just an extra thing to add to my resume. And so they go to college, and now suddenly they go, oh, wait, I, I didn't realize that they were going to have these kinds of expectations for me. Where you had to speak, right? You know, right. Yeah. You, know, you do reasonably well in high school, mm -hmm. and then there's so much more in college. But I think that, you know, Speaking is continuously that hardest skill to practice, and it's the one where you you can get a lot of blowback from from students as a teacher, where you know kids are anxious, they're worried, they don't want to speak in front of their peers, they're worried about being judged, whether by their ability to speak or what they say. Maybe they have an opinion that doesn't align with the rest of the class, and so every situation in which they have to speak, they're afraid to. No matter how much the teacher might encourage them, it really comes down to that that peer to peer relationship yeah. so much more. I, I and I remember I used to jokingly I would say to the kids I would say, you know, in the in college I would say, you know, that well they might say we didn't speak that much or whatever, and I'd say, well, why do you take Spanish if you don't want to speak the language, right? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you think that that would be their primary purpose, right? I mean. Not to be a grammarian, an expert grammarian, but to speak, right? And communicate yeah. with other Spanish-speaking people. And I don't think I got that a lot, you know, when I got an answer. And I wonder sometimes, do you think that perhaps in, in the high school, middle school, that we need to do more of that, uh, more, uh, you know, trying to work into the psyche of the student saying, why are we doing this, right? Yeah. Why are we doing this? And... Uh, that might mean giving oral tests, right? You know, actually speaking tests. And, and, you know, maybe give as many oral tests as you give written tests, right? And yeah. uh, th those type things. Now, we also get into methodology with this, right? I mean, th th there's so many, as you well know, there's so many ways you can approach teaching world languages, you know, for, for speaking. And uh, 
right now, for example, we're into the reader phase, correct? You know, the readers and, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's almost just, uh, I mean, it's everywhere, right? Uh, yeah. What, what are you, book are you using? I'm using a reader. I'm using this reader, that reader, which is okay. But do you think we need to be doing more too in the language? You know, oh, what, what the yeah. language is about, how it works, how it works, and maybe don't expect them to be able to just sit down and read a little novel, right? Or yeah. be able to suddenly yeah. speak just because they read the sentences and it's going to come to them, they're going to go, oh, I understand how this language works, you know? I mean, I, I think what I'm trying to say, it's a lot more complicated, the process, than just, you know, reading a, a story, right? And, sure. and things. I, I mean, I, I don't know what, why this is, but people seem to have a very different perception on a foreign language class versus English class. In an English class, I, I speak English fluently, <laughs> yes. but I'm expected to go to an, a high school English right. class and take the course. Right, right. Why? Because there's so much more to learn about the language, its use, how to communicate. So whether you're doing that through papers or even in high school English, you're reading novels. <laughs> Nobody is taking that novel reading and then putting it away for good. You go to class, you discuss it, you work through it, right, you speak about the right. language the author is using, and I don't see that same process replicated in a foreign language class. But it's hard to do, right? I mean, oh, I sure. mean it's very difficult because it's not the student's native language, right? And yeah. that's, I think that's another thing we have to start being more con concerned about. And, you know, it's, it's okay to have immersion and total immersion, but at the same time, we need to also be thinking... I really want these students to know how language works, right? I mean, how does it work? You know, what what's the subject? What's the verb? And you know, how does how do things interact? And you know, where do we put the the subject in Espanol? Where do we put the adjective, etc.? But the little things and little intricacies of the language itself, right? So that yeah. when they see these things and read, they'll know what it is, right? Oh, you know, because if we don't do that, we're leaving this huge gap, right? Where for this, those, the the kids to be able to speak, I mean, you know, it's speaking requires knowledge as, of especially of what grammar, right, and vocabulary. Now, and I remember when I used to give oral tests. I used to give a lot of oral tests, you know, I, and the kids liked it. After they got used to it, they loved it, you know, and they wanted they got credit for speaking the language, right? It just wasn't writing all the time. But they got to speak, you know, they, it wasn't taking written tests, it was oral tests. Oh, I get a grade for this, right? And they loved it, they really liked it. And I think that's another motivator too, if we gave oral test grades, you know, the kids would see a reason, right? To speak it more, right, by, by doing that. So there's a lot of things that happen, you know, behind the scenes and uh, uh, about language and how the kids use it. and. It just reading the sentences and, and doing that and, and listening isn't going to get the job done, right? I mean, there has to be a process where they're using, the, they have to figure the grammar out as well. You know, it's not like it's, this is some new phenomenon, you know, all you have to do is read, do a reader, you know? And uh, I just think sometimes we get carried away by that, you know, the readers, and we we forget about, you know, the realities, right? You know, how do you, how do you put sentences together in your brain, right, and things? So does that make sense? Yeah, well, I mean, that's where I think that, you know, you pull out a reader and you open a page and you say, all right, look at the way this sentence is formed. This is why this is the way it is. And you add that extra yes. layer to it rather than just handing them the reader. And yes. Acquire through reading it and pick out the words you do know and yes. guess with the ones you don't. And the grammar, too, right? Yeah. Let's look at some of this. But back to the point I was making a while ago, uh, so some of the students who were rather shy, and, and we talked about that earlier, about the how, how the effective side of learning comes into play, right? The emotions of the kids and their personalities for speaking. But we, we would talk about uh, testing, and they, they'd say, the only thing about oral tests are that we... We don't get to use our grammar, you know, or show off our grammar, what we know. And I, I tried to explain. I said, well, 
you know, I think that's the highest use of of grammar there is, right, in vocab. When you speak it, you know, you're using grammar. You know, this is grammar. I mean, this is the present tense verb. This is the adjective in the right position or whatever. You know, or you use a past tense verb or the subjunctive, whatever. But, you know, that's grammar, right? But you're speaking. So it's really the highest level of language use there is, right? And you're, yeah. if, if you didn't have any grammar, you couldn't get there. Am I missing something on that? No, I mean, by speaking, you're activating so many different parts of your brain at yes. the same time. Yes, yes. You're, it's so much stronger, the, the way in which you can internalize that and use that going forward. Um, I think the only issue, I mean... What happens, I think, with kids is they just get into that panic mode. But that's what happens when you when you make speaking into such a big deal. Like right. when it only happens every once a week. Yes, you do a speaking yes. Activity. Instead of doing it every day, right? A oh. little bit every day. Yep. And uh, it's it's like oral practice too. You have to practice every day. And you know you can practice and about your what you're reading, discuss that. But you you I think you also have to have situational things. You know. Shopping in the street, you're shopping somewhere, you get lost, you ask directions, all these little things, you know, the realities of language usage that the, the kids will have to do, you know, eventually yeah. if they travel. Now, uh, so it's it's a complicated process, but in a way it isn't, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it is and it isn't, right? I mean, we we can make this a lot more complicated than it really is, you know. But but the the bottom line is. Uh, it's nice to know when you're speaking, you know, am I using a subject? You know, is this a, is this a verb? You know, what, am I in the right tense? You know, you know, where should I be with this? And but being able to say it, right, and uh, express yourself is huge, a huge deal. Yeah. Now, tell us about travel. Have you traveled a lot? Now, you've been traveling some, and I know you want yeah. to do more travel. You've told me that. You want to really get going. Yes, I always want to do more travel. Um so in college, I didn't have the chance to do a full semester abroad. Um, part of that was just the way COVID hit and shuffled things and where priorities had to be. But um, I did, I have gone on a few trips, just a little bit at a time, trying to get out there and experience, experience the different cultures, the different accents, pieces of language, all that kind of stuff. Um, my junior year of college, I took a week by myself and I went to Spain. So I went to Madrid, Granada, and Sevilla. And that was I mean, probably the coolest experience I could have had just because all of these things I spent so long studying at this point to see it in person, <laughs> to walk through it. To, it's to, like it's real, doesn't it? It's like it's, it is. It's like it being is. in the middle of a, a book and it, like it's all of a sudden you're there, right? Oh, yeah. Well, without even thinking about it, everything that you learned, you know, that random piece of information from Spanish four or six years ago. Yes, you remember. You remember <laughs> and pull back up. And I, I had gone to El Prado with a friend. Um, I had another friend who was doing their own trip, and we had a day that we met up. And um, we're walking through El Prado, and we get to the El Greco room with all the, art, all the artwork of his. And I, I start to freak out. I'm like, oh, this is... I did a project on this. I love this guy. The, the style, the subject, everything. And it's all real now, right? You get it to is. see it. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell her everything. That, you know, oh, you know, the, the way his hand is placed in the paint style here. Now, now that you bring an interesting topic into this, too, and that is this teaching of culture, right? And the study of yeah. culture. How important that is, too, that goes hand in hand with the language learning, right? I mean, they oh, really yeah. go to, together, both of them, right? The culture and language. But, you know, here you are in the museum and El Greco, and you've done your project in high school and things, and you're going, oh, this is real, you know? I mean, this is really yeah. neat. And, but all of a sudden, you know, it becomes, uh, as you said, just being there, right? Seeing this stuff and you know, the culture of artifacts and things. I mean, it's just, it, it's a profound thing for language learners, right? Really profound. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, even even in English, I'm a I'm a big history nerd and <laughs> politics and all that kind of stuff, and so I love getting the chance to see that stuff. And I view Spanish as just a way to unlock a whole new realm of information and knowledge and history 
that there's something so much more real about it, like you were saying, that when you when you have all of that background knowledge, when you understand the language of it, to to really experience it. Because you can look at something as, oh yeah, that's pretty and keep moving on. But yeah. to understand the impact and what goes into it, I think just makes it so much more enjoyable. Now, why did you want to be a teacher then? Why did you want to be a Spanish teacher? <laughs> so I actually, I went to college as a business major. I graduated from Zionsville. I went to IU for their business program. Um, it's a pretty, pretty good program. <laughs> So I was excited to begin, but that Spanish kept tugging at me. And so I was, through the classes I had taken in high school, I already had a good number of credits for college. And so I was halfway to getting my minor by the time I entered, had a year and a half to get it done. And as I'm taking these classes, I'm like, I... I'm nowhere near ready to be done with this. <laughs> who can who can stop at just the one year? And if I really want to say that I know this, I would want to keep going with anything. And at the same time, I was not really loving the business side of school. And I'm not a so big numbers guy. So you really <laughs> got into it, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, it was honestly, it was it was a introduction to linguistics course that was like. That was the shift for me, was taking that class. I was like, this is so fascinating to really dig into what what prompts the development of language. Why do things change from place to place? And over Who time. did you have for that course? Uh, it was it was a grad student. His name was Dylan Jarrett. Um, okay. But fascinating course. Well, that, that makes all the difference, right? Now, oh, yeah. as, you, as you kept studying over the years... What was your favorite course that you ever took? That was one of them, obviously, linguistic. Actually, it was, uh, I think it would be uh, S425, introduction, or it was not even introduction. It was Spanish phonetics. Mm -hmm. um, Eric Willis at, at the university. And it was all about the sounds of Spanish, <laughs> which you described that to somebody and they go, oh my gosh, that sounds like a nightmare. That's so boring. That's 18 <laughs> weeks, 20 weeks or whatever of, of just sound. But no other class has had such an impact on my confidence in speaking as that one. Because when you start to look at, oh, this is what I'm doing wrong here and accent here, right. change the sound there. And when you put it all together, you just you feel so much better yeah. about the way that you're producing the language that it really gives you that encouragement to go out and want to do more and use it. Right. That's well said. Now, so tell, tell the listeners a little bit about uh, Zionsville High School, maybe the enrollment and uh, the environment type of school it is because it's really a great school. I know that. And uh, Zionsville, super high school. And... Uh, a lot of great students have come out of Zionsville, and I've known some, luckily, and, and teachers as well. And uh, can you tell the listeners what your favorite things are about the high school, Zionsville? Yeah. I think part of it is that we're at a comfortable size still, and that it, it's, they always, in all of my orientations and stuff lately, they're like, it's Zionsville Community High School, not Zionsville High School, because so much of it is about that community. And the interaction that the teachers have with students, that the parents have with the school, that the school has with the whole community, I think that really sets it apart where you go to a Friday night football game and you see everybody. That everybody's invested in what's going on at the school, what the kids are learning, where they're going afterwards. Um, it really becomes a, a very communal learning environment. And maybe that's just me as, as a child of somebody who worked here but I've seen that forever and so it's really amazing to come back here now and all of these old teachers I was at an orientation thing the other day they had the whole district in the room and I had all these middle school teachers I had come up and go oh my gosh I can't believe this like wouldn't have ever thought this was your path but so good to see you and it, you know to come back in a place and have teachers remember who you are and be excited for you and what you're up to. The, yeah. Um, I think that makes a huge difference to me. Yeah. 
Now, the, the students at Zionsville were uh, above average, I would say, right? That's a pretty good... Yeah, yeah. A little, somewhat above average. Pretty good students, academically, yeah. right? Yeah. And athletically, both, right? Yeah, they're both yeah. good in both. Um, so why would you tell your students to study a world language for? So I think that the biggest, what part of why I shifted that path a few years ago was that Spanish is a way to welcome others into a community and to engage with others that you wouldn't other be a, otherwise be able to. And so with Spanish, it's, you know, I want every kid to walk out of here, even if, you know, obviously my goal as a Spanish teacher is that they can speak it, but even if they don't, they walk out of my room engaging with new, new groups, new people, because so much of it is just about that. It's about being able to have that conversation at the supermarket that there's not a barrier between you anymore. We can, I mean, with AI and all the different technologies we've got, it's getting very good <laughs> at translating from one language to another. And it's not about just getting your thoughts across. It's about that human aspect of it, that, that I made the effort to learn your language and I'm making an effort to get to know who you are rather than, oh, I can't speak to this person, so I'm just going to type it up into this app and I'll send you what it spits out. Um, so I'm sure that, go ahead. So let's back up and talk about artificial intelligence since you brought that up here. Um, how does that play into language uh, right now? What would you say you see its biggest effect at the moment on the learning environment? Is, is it very large, the, uh, you know, the, uh, the effect it's having, or is it uh, minimal at the moment? Yeah. So we've been talking about it a lot, actually, at Zionsville, because the, you can look at AI and kind of go, oh, shoot, how do we shut this down? Or it's here. What are we going to do about it? Um, and one of the things we've talked about is just the fact that AI is being incorporated into so many applications and uses that if we're preparing a student for the world, then they're going to be exposed to that. It's not the... We can't keep the school environment completely different from the real world. And so we're trying to find ways of leveraging it while still encouraging that um, student independent thought and choice. And so, so how would you use it, though? Yeah. So part of it is, if you're looking at a, at a positive side of it, is I think that applications like ChatGPT serve a great way of, one, as a teacher... And as a creator, that you're able to instantly have all of this, like a dialogue created between an AI and the teacher or the user. So we were looking at ways of, as a teacher, I make a speaking assignment that I have to use for 120 kids. Mm -hmm. But, and that takes a lot of time for me to develop for each of them, but how could I use artificial intelligence to help me develop a conversation for a kid who enjoys sports versus a kid who really loves art or music. And then I can go through and I can make it improve it. Mm. But I'm not spending all of those hours making individual assignments for everybody. But at the same time, that kid that really loves that subject mm -hmm. he wants to talk about is being tested on that. He can use the vocab he's learned as a result of that and Brings that passion and joy. The, the, the problem that I see with the artificial intelligence, I mean, I think it's got great possibilities, of course, but I think the problem I see with it, too, is that um, it doesn't... Um, if it would do this, as you said, you know, prepare this and that and individualize it really for everybody, etc. If it would do that in a, how can I say it, a totally honest way, I would say, yes, you know, it's okay. But I have to believe that when they look these things up, right, I mean, the creators of these things, you know, or the how they're going to do it, yeah. that 
they're going to be infringing on things that have already been done, right? Oh, yeah. Written. They're going to be infringing on vocab lists. They're going to be infringing on uh, a huge amount of things. And then I, I, I'm i not sure how that's going to play out, you know, legally. I mean, I, th- I think that's the problem with this, the, these things. And I've been experimenting with it quite a bit and, and creating stuff. And it, it is fascinating, but it, it's, you know, it will do things. And I know after I see it work, you know, when I look at the results, it has used vocab lists. It's, you know, hither and yon, wherever they find them or, or that have been written. I don't yeah. think it just it pulls it out of the air, right? I mean, there's places. No, yeah. It, that, so it's it, all about, yeah, it pulls from existing materials. And yes. Like, oh, well, what is, what's similar yeah. to this? But the creators of those materials, this is this is one of the reasons the, the writers in Hollywood are striking now, right? Yeah. And uh, the same same th- th- thing in a different way, but you know, uh, they they can they're they're producing things about movies. You know, the artificial intelligence can, you know, make parts of movies. and But it pulls out of, from one movie to another movie to create whatever it's trying to do, right? They can do that. But it, if that stuff wasn't already there, they couldn't do it, right? That's yeah. what I'm, I'm trying to say. So where does the legality come in with this? And I don't think anybody solved this yet. You know, I think they're still talking about it. But it, it could be a huge, huge problem, you know. And... Uh, 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 and the other thing that I think is not good is that the students can just say whatever they want to say. I can say, I have a short story to write for tomorrow, three pages. And it's about my dog and cat, right? And yeah. it will spit out the story, right? It takes about three minutes and it spits it out. And you could do a long story you know, a 30-page story, and it would take 15 minutes. You know, you give it to topics, and it doesn't. But it has to be getting these words somewhere, right? I mean, a source. Is it getting it from a dictionary? Then they should give the dictionary credit, right? You see what I'm getting at? I mean, these words and the structures and uh, the ideas and some of the ideas about the story perhaps come from other books where that same thing was you know, written up by somebody, and they did it, and then they, they picked something out of that. So it's it's very, test, you know, it's very tricky what's going on. It isn't going to be, I, it, it looks like it's pretty easy, but again, how much, uh, how much, uh, what's the word, confidence can you have in that it's really authentic, right? Right. That it's, well, that's why I think it, it's still is valuable. To, it, this doesn't replace knowing a language. Yeah. This doesn't replace the role of a teacher. It doesn't replace... Right. Like, now, but, still but, but, somebody who's yeah, knowledable. We could talk them. about this forever. We can't talk, oh, keep yeah, talking. Yeah, yeah. I've got to move on. But one of the yeah, things yeah. I was going to bring up, though, is... So, I got a short story that I got to write. You know, I'm just making this up. My fourth year of Spanish year said I had to write a 10-page uh, uh, short story, right? And uh, about... Um, I'm just going to make this up about a football team who's uh, uh, what can I say? The football team has a big problem. The coach is uh, uh, eats too much food and he's so heavy now he can't even get in the truck, right? And I'm just making this up. And so the coach of the football team is just totally out of shape. He can't get up into the car, that you know whatever. And he's huge. He's, he just eats all the time. So he eats all the time. So. It's, Student writes this up. He looks, does it on the, the AI, AI thing, and it puts spits it out. You know, in five ten minutes. You know, now how are you going to know that this that he did this didn't do this that he didn't really create this? Uh, is he creating it, or is he not creating it? And it's kind of like you're building something, but you're not really creating it. It's like, you know, you're. I, I, I I'm not sure how to say that, but. Uh, you know the, the the creativity factor in, enters into this. I mean, what if it's a great story that he didn't, didn't even write in Spanish? Right? You can do this in Spanish. Oh yeah. So you know, how can we say he's creative? Uh, did he know all this grammar when he put it in? Because it puts perfect grammar out too. It also spits out perfect grammar. So, yeah. No, it is. No, it's, it's fascinating stuff. But but. 
you get see what I'm getting at. So yep. we got we've got sources. You know who were the real sources of the vocab and the grammar, etc. Where did the source stuff come from? And then where do you do, how do you do the end? How do you do the uh, creativity factor right for the for the student? I mean, is this creativity? I mean, it, it, was it really his Spanish, right? Yeah. So, and 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 I'm, I I don't mean to be negative. I love technology, but I'm just saying right now there's there's things that need to be dealt with. You know, before this just gets thrown out there, because and it probably would just get thrown out there. And well, educate. That's the thing, though, is it's been thrown out. There. Yeah. And well, so it, it edu- wasn't a challenge I was expecting yeah. to have to deal with. Yeah. No, but <laughs> but in college even. I mean, it's, it's yeah. evolved so rapidly. Yeah. It's it, well in the last year, year or two, the last year or two. But especially, yeah. but the but in education, unfortunately, sometimes we don't do um, what's the word enough research, perhaps you know. Before we jump into the into the the fire, right? You know, yeah. and I remember this from teaching, and I, I always thought that was one thing, and it wasn't our fault teaching. You know, it's just we don't have time. We don't have time to prepare, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, you've got six classes a day, and you're trying to keep your head above the water. You can't do any research. I mean, you know, time, and that's why education becomes an easy place to do this. You know, for the creators of the, the the AI stuff, right? I mean, it's easy because we don't have time to research. I mean, when do you have time? I mean, you we just it's hard to do. Well, I mean, it is, and that's why I think every student who cheats <laughs> that the the cause of cheating is very rarely that they are lazy. At least in science, well, it's usually that they have six periods of homework to do, they have an after-school job, or they're playing a sport, yep, they have yep. social obligations, family obligations, want to volunteer, all of this stuff, and it becomes really easy to just turn to AI yes. or Google Translate or whatever else to and, and help it, you out. Exactly. And, and those type of things, though, if we don't really watch it before we do it, you know, and the administration, the administrators get involved in this, but it needs to be really researched, especially by maybe the administrators more because they may have a little more time to do it. But, you know, it needs to be researched, you know, heavily, you know. And, and you know, how, how do you give a grade for this? If the student didn't really do it, he just, you know, pressed a few keys and, you know, it spits it out. I mean, how can you give a grade? And how do you know he did, didn't, didn't cheat or whatever you want to establish cheating for, you know? Uh, but it's going to be, it's, it's really going to be a challenge, you know, and yeah. uh, how, how it's dealt with is going to be interesting because uh, um, how I, if you were an English student, an English student and you want to be a writer and, you know, and you were using that all the time, I mean, you're not really writing it, right? I mean, it's not coming out yeah. of your brain. So, I mean, well, it's... Everybody for years, it was... So, creativity, like that's the the safest field to go into. Yes, nothing can yes, ever replace that. Yes. But now that's what we're more concerned about than like a than a factory job. Yes, yes. Because all of this technology is aimed exactly at creativity, creating content, yes. assignment, whatever else. Yeah, and then you again, you we get back to the the human element, right? We want to have the human contact with the kids. Yeah. You know, where they're talking language with each other, that this is really works, you can communicate with live human beings. And you can't do that with the artificial stuff, you know, it doesn't matter. Even now we have some great things, as you well know, online and things that we use and for teaching and, you know, you, uh, you can be here, you can be there and things, but it's not real. It's not like me and you talking, right, together. You know, if we're in the same room talking and really studying each other's, you know, what they're saying and listening and things and the skills, the human skills. So it's, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be, it'll be a challenge, but it's, it's there. Uh, So good to hear that you're on top of all that too. You really are. That's very impressive. Now, uh, what about studying a world language? Why would you tell a student to study it again? I mean, what would you say the biggest thing though? And it, it's all about, to me, the that cultural component, about getting to know, mm-hmm. I mean, especially if we're looking at the U.S. anymore, there is a very large percentage of the population that currently yes. speaks Spanish, yes. and by 2050, 
there will be more Spanish speakers here than just about any other country. So to bury your head in the sand and pretend like, oh, well, I will, everybody in my classroom speaks English, so why would I learn Spanish? You're not anticipating what's to come. And what, in a lot of places, is already here. And you look at other countries. I mean, I think the U.S. has been not immune to this, but hasn't had the same interaction with other cultures that you look at a European country, every country in their vicinity speaks a different language, different culture, different community. And so they've made an effort to, all right, if I live in Germany, I should probably learn French because there are enough French citizens here that I interact with and see. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to communicate with them and show interest in what's going on with them. Yes, well said. Now, what what are the biggest challenges of teaching a world language? What would those be? I think that it, it continues to be that the short-sightedness <laughs> of, oh, well, I don't use this right now. I mean, especially in a community like Zionsville, where there isn't, we're not a, a, an extremely diverse district, we're improving, but it's really easy to go about your day every day and not need to talk to somebody with a different language. And so it gets written off as, oh, I won't really need that. Well, well, well said. That, And I would say that probably is the number one of the number one things about, you know, the resistance to language learning. Like you said, I don't need it, right? I mean, they really, yeah. the kids, and that's easy to say, but it's not oh, easy yeah. in real the real world, right? When they get out and they go, ooh. There are a lot of people out here who speak Spanish, you know, or, yeah. or whatever language it happens to be. You know, there are a lot of speakers in the United States of many languages, right? So, uh, now, back to Zionsville. What are the two or three top things you like about Zionsville High School? Yeah, so, uh, I talked about community, but I think um, in the last week especially, I have felt constant support and encouragement from administrators and the district at large, which I think anymore is such an important piece of education. It's huge, yes. Where well, you are, you're hit with so much. Yes. Whether from a parent or from just the chaos of dealing with a classroom. Yes, well said. And, and it totally correct. Has your back. Yes. Um, Beautiful. And that's wonderful that Zionsville, and it doesn't surprise me. I know it's a wonderful school, So, but I'm glad you said that. So, um, what do you think? What is teacher creativity? What does that mean, teacher creativity? Uh, I think part of it is being willing to try something new, even if, you know, it's willing to go outside your comfort zone to try something different. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be really easy, especially, I mean, take my case. I'm currently in a district that I sat in these same. Spanish classes with the teachers I'm working with. It would be really easy for me to show up each day and go, all right, I'm going to use the same stuff I did when I was a student here six years ago and bring it back. Or, um, similar, I mean, you do assignments, you're making things, and it's like, oh, that really worked well when I saw this other teacher do it. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of risk taking, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's easy to get comfortable and want to stay the same, but again, it's we're not going to go back to it. But AI, similarly, it's that idea of things are constantly changing. Right now, going to adapt to what your environment yeah. is. What about student creativity? What would how would you go about doing that, making students more creative? Yeah, I mean, I'll admit. So I I, I loved art classes growing up. I would describe myself as very creative on that end and that I liked projects, but I was at the same time, the kind of person who was like, okay, you just tell me what to paint (laughs) or tell me what I should be doing and I'll do it and I'll get an A. Okay. You tell me what I should be doing. Um, that tends to be a lot of the mentality in a a high achieving district where it's just, just save me the time. I want to do it right. I care about doing it right. Right. Know what you want from me. Okay. so a student, it's, it, it becomes really hard to push them to, to get them, just like a teacher has to try new things, so does a student. Um, but they'll fight me on it, just like I would have fought my teachers <laughs> growing up. But no, I don't want, don't make me yeah. figure it out myself. <laughs> just give me Good. what you want. Good. Now, 
What about um, the uh, uh, having fun in the classroom? Uh, how vital is that to teaching, having fun, that you're having fun and the students are having fun? Oh, yeah. Well, if, talking about how kids are anxious now and worried about speaking and interacting, so much of that, I feel like, fades away when you have that positive classroom environment where you make a joke about my own mistakes or I, we're all friendly with each other and talking and laughing. It becomes a much lower pressure situation then to have to contribute or talk or be willing to maybe get an answer wrong here and there. Um, plus, time flies when you're having fun. It's so much easier to go through your day every day when you're willing to smile. And yes. And knowledge. Yeah, and, and have the fun activities, right? The fun, creative activities. Absolutely. Uh, now, so... Let's see. We were talking about the present state of world language teaching methods. How would you suggest to teachers the best way to teach from your standpoint at this point to teach a world language? I... Hmm. I think any time that, you know, it's funny, you ask a kid what their favorite TV show is or anything about their life, and they don't want to tell you, but I think you have to make that effort to get to know what their culture is, because it's funny, I'm only four years older than a lot of these kids, but I feel out of the loop, they've changed, there's something new to learn, something new on TikTok or whatever the, the youngsters are up to, but the... If a foreign language teacher wants to succeed in the classroom, they have to pull from what the students love and enjoy yes, and want to talk yes. about. Um, I, I had a professor tell me that every kid wants to talk about themselves. And I think that's true to an extent, but I think so much more they just want to talk about what they love. Yes. And so those kids uh, you know, that, I mean, Zionsville, there's all kinds of activities to be involved in. So finding those conversations of, all right, I know that I've got six students in here that are all on the football team. How can we compare and contrast the football culture versus American football culture? What's the same and different? How do they cheer on their teams? Let's talk about it. Let's discuss. And you'll get that passion when you do that. That they, they're oh, I want to talk about football because yes, boy, yes. do I have opinions. Um, that anytime you can do that, it It'll, it'll be challenging almost from the opposite standpoint of they'll be so excited that they're going to want to just get it all out in English and you have to write them back in and get it to stay in Spanish, which when kids don't want to talk anymore, just give them something they want to talk about. Yes, totally correct. Beautifully said. Now, so um, when is your first day next week, right? Monday, yeah. So it's Friday today. Monday, and that's a full period class, right? What a, yes. just, how long are classes? 50 minutes? They're 50 minutes, seven periods of 50 minutes. Um, we have like a, it changes. There's three days a week that are seven periods, and we have two days of blocks where each period is an hour and a half. But. Okay. Now, do you have any strategies you're going to use to the, the kids that are kind of uh, tough, tough, toughies, tough to teach type? Yeah. It seems like uh, there's always a couple in every class, right? Yes. Two, two uh, or three. Sometimes you can have two or three, and sometimes you get four, maybe. Use out of 25. Always, that's what I found. You know, there were always, yeah. but there were always some that you, you know, you, it, I always felt like if you had 25 students and if you got to 20 of them, you did good, right? Cool. You know, if 20 of them are with you and they understand, you know, you've done good. And then after that, you know, you just try to do the best you can, right, for the moment, so... That's right. I mean, anybody who who will watch me in the classroom would just start laughing because it's nothing like I was when I was growing up. Uh, <laughs> growing up, I I was not an out there personality, willing to make a joke and put myself on the line. Uh, I think that that's the only way that you can though engage with those students that are tough nuts. Is oh, I say the most cringeworthy things in front of them, and you get the eye rolls, but they also they start laughing and they. Honestly, if, yes. if they start seeing that I'm not going to stand up there and lecture to them, 
that I'm wanting to have a good time, that I'm willing to be self-deprecating and show that I'm still, I mean, because I'm still learning too. I, I've gone to college and I have a Spanish education degree, but there are still things that they're going to ask me that I'm going to say, but oh, you know, let's learn do, about that do, together. Do you have any strategies, though, for the couple of them that may say, I don't want to do this? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, out of 25 kids, let's say yeah. you got a couple and they say, I don't want to do this. I just don't like this, you know. What do you do at that point? I mean, I think the only thing you can do is really just not give up. The, that first week, yes, that's um, good. Make an effort to talk persistent. to one-on-one. Persistence, yes, you have to be yeah. persistent. I'm glad you said that. That's a great answer. Persistence, and a lot of times teachers aren't persistent. You know, they'll just, or, you know, being persistent, but saying there's a way to solve it, right? You know, but sometimes teachers just go on the, you know, it's one or two kids and they get all upset, right? Or they get angry. And you don't want to do that, right? You want to be persistent in things. And that's a good thing. Persistence is everything teaching. And you'll see as you do this teaching, persistence wins out. You know, it really does. It's a kind of an unknown thing. We don't talk about it enough probably, but it'll be good. Yeah. All right, guy. Listen, it, our time is about up. You have been a super guest, and Alex, and you've been wonderful. Oh, my gosh, it's an honor to have you, and especially a brand-new teacher. And we'll try to get back sometime in December, January, right? And see yeah, how you're absolutely. doing at that See how you're doing at that time. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. now, Any gray hairs at that point? All right. Well, I, <laughs> we wish you the best of luck, and you're starting out next week. And I'm sure the kids are going to enjoy your class very, very much. Now... Uh, for the listeners, uh, we'll be back with you in September with another show. And uh, if you get a chance, uh, when you do the Apple podcast, you can subscribe to it so that every time we do one, it comes into your uh, email. So you can subscribe, and uh, uh, it's worth doing. I think it also comes in your, probably you could get in your text message too. But at any rate, uh, do try to do that. We have a lot of subscribers now. And uh if you would like to, if you visit the site, there's probably 70 shows in the site, maybe 60 or 70. And if you could just kind of go back and pick and choose what you like and listen to it. Uh, there's a great variety of things. So, you know, that's that's kind of the fun thing to do. This year, we're going to try to really get more in, involved in, in actually what happens, you know, after we talk to people and <laughs> see, you know, different type things. So we're kind of on a on a creative uh, uh, jaunt right now. So uh, thank you all for being here. And uh, I hope it's the weather's good where you are. And uh, luckily the weather here today has not been bad at all. And uh, we're very uh, blessed with that. So again, thank all of you for being here. And uh, a lo mejor que vuelvan, eh? Nos veremos en, en dos o tres semanas, eh? Okay, goodbye everybody. Nos vemos, bye. And Alex wants to tell you goodbye. Tú puedes decirles en español, eh? Si quieres, si para despedirte. Okay, bien. Fue un absoluto placer estar aquí y espero de regresar pronto. Excelente. Okay. Entonces, nos vemos, oyentes, y que pasen un, un, un mes o tres semanas fabulosas. Okay. Bye. Nos vemos.